The Athletic. This is one of the best feelings I've ever had in my life, and just just to see these girls and to see a country like Jamaica be able to do this, it's unbelievable. Magaya, lovely first touch. Can she do it again? Alana for South Africa. The captain at the most crucial time. I'm Michelle Owen and this is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast World Cup edition. Today we're looking back on day 14 of the FIFA Women's World Cup. Jamaica make the knockout stages for the first time ever at the expense of Brazil in yet another earth-shattering shock in this Women's World Cup. The reggae girls were joined by France in qualifying out of Group F. And in Group G, another shock as African champion South Africa knocked out Italy to also make the last 16 for the first time ever. They progressed alongside Sweden to the knockouts. Joining me today are The Athletic's Jack Lang and Nick Miller. Hey guys. Hello. Good afternoon. So let's start with Group F. France, Brazil and Jamaica were all in with a chance of getting out of Group F. But it was Jamaica and France who progressed with South American champions Brazil facing up to an early exit after failing to beat Jamaica in today's game at the Sydney Football Stadium in Sydney, Gadigal. Despite Marta Cox opening the scoring for Panama, France took control of their game pretty quickly. By half-time, it was 4-1. So the onus was on Brazil. They needed to beat Jamaica to qualify. So from one Marta to another, Brazil's Marta started for the first time in this tournament. Um, what did you make of that, Jack? How much has she really been featuring lately? Because we know she's very much in the twilight of her career. She is, yeah. And she's still really working her way back from uh, you know, a major injury that kept her sidelined for a, for a year. So I think coming into the tournament, it wasn't a massive shock that she wasn't in the starting lineup for the first couple of games. But here, I suppose, I mean, neither of the players that were in the side in the attacking positions did, you know, particularly a massive amount to state their case. I thought Bia Zanarotto in the first game was okay. She scored, but didn't do loads. And and JC in the second game had a, quite a quiet one. So I understand why why Pearson Hager thought it was a, a good game for her. I guess the fact that Brazil needed to win a bit of experience in the side, which uh, is something that Brazil do lack a little bit. So perhaps that would have been useful. So what? yeah, I wasn't massively surprised to see it. But, you know, the, the question of whether it worked or not, I would say not massively. I think Brazil just looked a bit short on physicality. Jamaica, you know, very strong, very quick. Uh, and I thought Marta kind of flitted in and out of the game, had a few neat touches, but gave the ball away a few times. Looked, looked a bit frustrated. And I think sometimes when you have someone whose you know, personal standards are so high and the stakes are also kind of stratospheric for her. I thought there were times when she was getting quite exasperated and probably that spread throughout the Brazil side a little bit. Yeah, it's been confirmed as well. She said that this is adios for Marta in Brazil. 
It's a bit of a sad way for such a legend to bow out, really, isn't it, Nick? I mean, six World Cups, 17 goals. Yeah, and uh, uh, very sad for her, but also, I mean, quite sad for the the tournament, as we'll kind of go on to discuss, I think, is there's a lot of brilliant storylines, but we're missing a, still missing a lot of stars, and she, uh, her going out at this stage adds to all the, the players who were injured and didn't get to the tournament in the first place, but... There's, you know, Marta's now been knocked out. Christine Sinclair's been knocked out. So I'm not complaining about the entertainment uh, on, on offer. Certainly today it is a, a shame for the tournament as well as Marta herself that she's not going to. It was always probably going to be a bit of a long shot for Brazil to actually win the tournament, but um, for her not to at least be in the, the latter stages is a shame. It's really hard to comprehend the Brazil team that destroyed Panama with what we saw here against Jamaica, isn't it, Jack? I mean, it shows the step up in quality that Jamaica presented. Yeah, I, w- I was really impressed by them. I think when you've got you know a team that is willing to sit deep, um, but then you've got someone you know up front in Bunny Shaw who can almost carry the attack alone, that allows you to kind of play in that way and still have an outlet. I thought they managed that kind of that tactical element really well and Brazil I, th- I thought they were I thought they were really poor today I was really disappointed in them and I uh, you know ag- against a team that is willing to sit in you know neither of the wingers really like to play on the wing for Brazil so you've got all these you know cluster of players and when you do get it wide to the fullbacks there isn't really a focal point because you know at, at least in the first game uh, Bia kind of gives that physicality up front neither Debinha or Marta are really going to win a lot of headers. And so, yeah, I think, I don't know, maybe Brazil, certainly in the media, perhaps underestimated Jamaica. Um, to be honest, maybe I underestimated them. I thought they were a lot more impressive than I had anticipated even after their first couple of games. So, yeah, it's a, a big reality check for Brazil and probably going to be the start of a, you know the next stage in that transition, Marta bowing out and I think doubt she'll be the only one to to make way as well. Yeah, and Jack, what does that mean for Brazil's much-loved Pia Sundhaj? I mean, she's been there since 2019. Yeah, she is. I mean, much-loved is right. She's She's got a lot of kind of goodwill in the bank, but you do not get eliminated in the first round when you're Brazil manager and, and not pay the penalty. So at the time of recording, there's no news on that, but I, I would be absolutely staggered if she continued after this. I mean, not least because in these instances bit of the kind of classic ill feeling towards having a foreign coach comes back to the surface so you know Pia is someone who gave Brazil in in her words and that of some of the players a kind of European European style stability I, I just don't think you can survive something like this and even if you've won hearts and minds in the previous couple of years yeah so I know it's very shortly after the game at the time of recording but has there been much reaction from Brazilian journalists that you've seen so far Jack yeah what I've seen is just massive disappointment I think both from a collective point of view like Brazil didn't play well in terms of you know collective shape ideas tactical plan I thought Pia got it wrong when you know she put on Bia Zanarata and then played her on the left wing for about 20 minutes which struck me as very strange uh, I thought quite a few players had underwhelming displays within the system. But also with Brazil, sometimes when the system doesn't work, you can hope for a little bit of individual spark. And a few of the comments I'd seen kind of focus on that, maybe highlighting that this isn't a generation that has that very highest level quality that we now see from a lot of 
the other teams in this tournament. Obviously, Marta's got the star power, but she's quite a lot past her best. Debinha was probably the most influential attacking player in the last couple of years. I think she's been pretty poor. A lot of kind of flicks to nowhere today. And then, yeah, beyond that, there's no one of the level, in my opinion, of the top five, ten individual talents in this tournament. And I think that in itself is going to lead to a lot of hand-wringing because, you know, even when Brazil, men or women's side, is fully operational on a kind of collective level, they can normally depend on at least some, you know, individual inspiration and and maybe they need to have a look at the kind of the talent paths going forward. Yeah, Nick, for Jamaica, we heard from Jay Harrison on a previous episode of this podcast about that off-field issues and the piece that you can read on The Athletic goes into much more detail. But what an achievement. Fantastic for them to have qualified over Brazil with that adversity in mind. Yeah, um, just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, as Jay writes in the piece, they sort of, they've they've had uh, support withdrawn from them by the Federation a number of times. I mean, it, it to all intents and purposes, didn't really exist about five years ago. With the one after one of those instances of the Federation not supporting them, looking at this group before before the tournament, I think you most people would have expected Brazil, and France to go through for so for Jamaica to shock them was was incredible. And yeah, it fits with the kind of theme with, with some of the teams that have made it through. Canada got knocked out, but teams like Jamaica and South Africa also have had lots of problems with their federation obviously we'll go, we'll go on to talk about south africa later but the the kind of success against adversity for some of these teams is actually phenomenal absolutely and and at the end i mean the jamaican celebration is probably not only reflected the upset they caused jack but just the enormity of of what they've done on the pitch and off the pitch yeah and just just the contrast i love the final group games in big tournaments are often i think the most dramatic because you've got that vast contrast you've got Brazil who really expected to go through and you've got the players on the bench you know head in hands and then yeah you've got the, the Jamaica coach doing cartwheels not enough cartwheeling <laughs> coaches in world football in my opinion and yeah it's, it's those kind of scenes uh, you know we can get a bit um, jaded about minnows or underdogs doing well but you can just you saw what it meant to them and you know not necessarily the end of the line for them either they, they are going to be a a tricky proposition in the in the last 16, I would suggest. The France-Panama game ended 6-3, Nick, but oh, the pick of the goals has to be that Marta Cox free kick, doesn't it? And at that point, we're on for not just shock of the tournament, but shock of the decade, and even more, perhaps, if Panama had gone on to win that one. Yeah, I mean, it, it was an absolutely perfect free kick. One of those ones where you kind of, as she was lining up, you just thought, ah, oh, come on, don't shoot from there. <laughs> Stick it in the box. Don't Let's just stop messing around with this. And then she hit, and it was one of those ones that when it got to about 10 yards out of goal, it looked like it was going two yards over the bar and then just dipped at the last minute, swerved away from the goalkeeper. I mean, if you're listening to, you, by the time you listen to this, you'll have probably seen that free kick, but it's just an incredible strike. And it kind of, it was a strange game because it, it, it gave you a little bit of tension at the start that France kind of pretty rapidly got into their stride. And even though the, their equalising goal was quite lucky, they were sort of incredibly dominant, and it, it looked like they were they they were good value for I think it was four one at half time, but then kind of in the latter latter stages of the game, they were they were five one up. Then Panama came back with two goals, and you know there was just the the very very faintest hint of they couldn't could they, which you know they didn't in the end, but it was it was good fun while that lasted. And the celebrations at the end, Jack from Panama, 
to uh, well for all of their goals actually as they scored their first World Cup goals. I mean it's pretty unusual when a team's six three down to see so much going on, but it was also an incredible achievement for them to be there. Yeah, lovely. I mean, I when I watch these games, I always think when a player from like an unfancy team scores in their position, I would just be so chuffed because you know Sedeno in that final goal case, she will ever be forever be able to tell her kids and her grandkids that she scored in a World Cup. And it doesn't it doesn't really matter that they were hammered and they were knocked out early because they were expected to. But uh, just those kind of little individual mementos can mean so much and. I enjoyed the fact that it was just such a collective celebration too. It wasn't just, you know, her grabbing her little slice of real life memorabilia. All of all of her mates look absolutely chuffed as well. And yeah, putting three goals past a very strong France team, that's not to be sniffed at, is it? So Group F ends like this. France top the group with seven points. Jamaica a second with five. Brazil go out third, four points in Panama, no points, but some good fun against France today for sure. We'll see tomorrow who France and Jamaica will play from Group H in the last 16. Technically, all four teams in that group, Germany, Colombia, Morocco and South Korea, can qualify although South Korea need a mighty goal swing against Germany to do so. After what we've seen from Jamaica, Nick, surely they're going to fancy their chances over 90 minutes against any of those sides. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we've obviously seen that Germany, well, Germany looked very impressive in the, the opening game, but you've seen that they're kind of fallible after that. Colombia had that phenomenal result, um, still slightly something of an unknown quantity so if it's either the other two that managed to sneak through then Jamaica are just probably a, a, a objectively a stronger team so given that they have um, managed to get through this one and not effectively knock Brazil out they'll fancy their chances against anyone yeah France could be a bit concerned about conceding three to Panama whoever they face which at this point in time would be Germany I mean, France v Germany in the round of 16 would be a very tasty tie. But even though Germany haven't been firing on all cylinders, you'd fancy Germany against this lackluster France side, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say is that, you know, France did make a couple of changes at the back. I think, uh, you know, you, you'd probably attribute some of those goals to that. And the, the first goal is a <laughs> is just a kind of ludicrous historic strike. So I don't, I don't think I'd be tearing my hair out if I was, uh, you know, a member of the French squad. But yeah, I mean, France v Germany, I would, I would love to see that. It's always good to get kind of a, a heavyweight battle in the last 16. And I think that would, yeah, I, I admit, appointment television, I would say. Well, England are basking in their 6-1 win over China, which saw them top Group D and secure a last 16 tie against Nigeria. The Athletics' Jacob Whitehead is with the Lionesses throughout their tournament. And here's his latest report. Good evening, Jacob Whitehead reporting here from Sydney. So the players have returned to Terragal this afternoon after that big 6-1 win over China. What a day for Lauren James. Five in goal, five goal involvements. That's more than any other England player, men's or women's, in a major tournament. But Serena Beekman, being Serena Beekman, she does not like to talk about individual players. So when there's a stack of questions aimed at her about this coming-of-age performance from James, she shut down each one turn and turn. For example, I asked uh, what her philosophy was on sort of build-up play versus long-range shooting, whether it mattered when you had bull strikers like James in the side. Absolutely shut down. So that is me having learned my lesson. 
They've got quite a while now actually to build up for the round of 16, which we know is going to be against Nigeria. Nigeria, of course, no strangers to playing in big pressure-filled games after beating Australia early in the tournament. England, as opposed to lots of teams, are staying in Sydney throughout and then they'll just fly up to Brisbane the day before the game. Lots of other teams tend to just hop from city to city. For example, Spain are doing that, the US are doing that, albeit the US are forced to by the results. Today was a training day in Adelaide, mainly recovery, although kind of you imagine people on the edge of the squad got a little bit more game time. But interestingly, Vigman decided to use her bench a bit more. She's used far more players of her squad than she did at the last Euros, where I believe that she used less than 15 players the whole time. So she's changing, England progressing, and I'll have another update for you tomorrow. Nick, it really felt, I think we said on the podcast as well, it felt like England arrived yesterday at the World Cup. Yeah, and although maybe it's slightly limited opposition, it's it, you kind of, you think of it as a sign of a, a good and together well-coached team that they can very quickly adapt to a new formation, which while China weren't particularly good, to kind of suddenly go from playing four at the back and famously in the Euros, not changing the team at all, to uh, have changed the team in every game and then switched up formation in the, the final game bodes well for the rest of the tournament. And, you know, that, whether that formation switch was designed to just get Lauren James in the middle or whether it was uh, designed to get Rachel Daly uh, uh, as a wing-back, whatever it was, it, it worked. And it just it will show England that they've got some pretty good options for later on in the tournament. Yeah, England have got to be confident, haven't they? They play Nigeria in the last 16 on Monday, 8.30 in the morning. I mean, Nigeria are good and they'll be a stern test, but England should win this one, Jack. Uh, trying to maintain my objectivity here. I would, I would hope so, yeah. I think they definitely needed that kind of confidence boost after the, after the injuries. Um, we don't know what part Kira Walsh is going to play in the rest of the tournament. But I think, as Nick said, they seem to have stumbled on something that really suits quite a lot of their players. Lucy Bronze, I thought. Rachel Daly looked good in the wing-back role. Uh, Lauren Hemp bringing a bit of pace up front, which I think was lacking somewhat in the previous game. Nigeria, seen a couple of good performances, but they were pretty pretty dour against the Republic of Ireland. So, that you know, I wouldn't be terrified of them, put it that way. Well, the first shock of the day came in the final matches of Group G as South Africa beat Italy at the Wellington Regional Stadium in Wellington, Athangalui Atara. We'll talk about that as well as look forward to tomorrow's games next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. So, Sweden and South Africa progressed from Group F today. The reigning Africa Cup of Nations champions knew they had to beat Italy to progress, and they did so in stoppage time. And Nick, this was full of drama. The game started with Italy taking the lead, but for minute one, they did seem defensively vulnerable. Well, I mean, no better example of that than the slapstick own goal by uh, Benedetta Orsi. I mean, she, obviously a very silly thing to do if anyone hasn't seen it. She had the ball about sort of 30 yards out from her own goal and just turned around and passed the ball back without looking. I don't know whether, I mean, 
goalkeeper Francesca Durante, I think maybe got away with a bit of criticism because she she I couldn't agree more, Nick. She hadn't gone over to that side of the box. Her positioning was kind of a, a long way to the left, and the ball went in on, on the right hand side. And even then, she just kind of I know she, her instinct is not going to be to try and go for the ball with her hands because it's a it's a back pass. She was going to slide slide like a slide tackle, but. Even then, she not like not maybe a half-hearted effort, but it felt like she could have got there. So you know, Orsi's gonna be you know a, a, a clip on lots of banter accounts on Twitter, but I think the the, the keepers um, got away with one there a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And um, in the other game, Sweden scored a great goal against Argentina that made it one nil. Uh, Jack, did you see that move? It was lovely and flowing, wasn't it? And really quite promising for them given they've not always been the most exciting and open play so far at this World Cup. Yeah, it was really nice down the right-hand side. They kind of manipulated it so the defence were dragged into the centre leaving that channel and a lovely ball in for, for Rebecca Blomqvist. Yeah, I mean, Sweden, like France, much rotated, nine changes, but didn't really look any the worse for it. Argentina kind of slightly... Held back, I suppose, by Bon Segundo's injury. She was stretched off. And from that point, I was only keeping half an eye on this one. But every time I looked up, Sweden were kind of bossing the ball and on the edge of the Argentina area. So didn't really feel like there was ever much peril for, for Italy or South Africa coming in from that game, which meant it was all going to ride on on that one. And well, it, that game provided enough twists and turns for, for the whole group, I would say. Yeah, minutes after Sweden scored, things changed further in this group. A lovely South African second goal finished by Hilda Magaya. Uh, but the veteran Girelli was Italy's saviour again, uh, though Caruso was given it, sort of glanced off her backside. So two all and 11 minutes stoppage time were given and South Africa made them count instantly, Nick. And this is what we said, the drama of the group stage. This is what it brings. Yeah, and a couple of phenomenal goals, particularly the the winner, she got the ball on the left-hand side of the the area and didn't look around or look up at all. She just knew that uh, Catalana was was there, and she she could have had she could have taken the shot. Maybe I mean she, you, you wouldn't have blamed her at all for taking the shot in the situation, but she knew that her teammate was in a slightly better position, and just phenomenal for um, Catalana as well. She I mean she she didn't almost didn't make it to the tournament because she busted her Achilles um, a few months ago. And she said, I think she said afterwards that in the course of the tournament, or in the sort of in the course of that she's been away for the tournament, she's lost three family members and could have gone home at any stage. But she wanted to stay with the team, which is, I mean, there are very, very many reasons why I'm not a professional athlete, but that that sort of commitment is 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 one of them, and I, I can't <laughs> imagine the mm. the sort of strength of mind it must take to 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 even kind of set foot on the pitch and never mind perform so brilliantly as she she did i mean she the the pass that she made for the second goal i think was one of those she 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 tried two or three times throughout the game and it was it could have created several more goals but um yeah just a, a phenomenal performance yeah she said after it's football about who wants it most over the last 3 weeks i've lost three family members I could have gone home, but I chose to stay with my girls. Uh, it's quite incredible, really. Italy, they do have a system. They've got some some style, Jack, but do they just need to tighten up defensively, really, or are we not giving enough credit to South Africa? I don't know. I, there, there were moments in this match when I thought Italy were really good. I thought they started excellently. I thought they really looked in control in the first half an hour or so. 
I don't know what the turning point was, really. I think the fact that they conceded that freak goal just seemed to rattle them a little bit. I thought until that point, they looked very measured. Uh, Maybe kind of Barbara Bolanseya going off, that also seemed to shake them somewhat. But really, I mean, you know, South Africa just burst into life in the second half. It's one of those things when the, the momentum of a match just seemed to get out of Italy's grasp. One minute they had... South Africa where they wanted them and the next they were just kind of rampaging forward they couldn't really cope with the the pace of the, the South Africa front line their defenders didn't play terribly I don't think but they were kind of getting deeper and deeper um, Michael Cox <laughs> tweeted a picture of them defending a free kick unbelievably deep like literally almost on their own six yard line when the kick was near the halfway line which I think captured the way they were they were going in the second half but yeah, I mean, they they also had the chances to kind of to finish it off. Jaleli had that chance, uh, I think, in, before the winner when it was cut back to her and she kind of went for the near post when the far post was absolutely wide open. And so, yeah, they will look back on this as a missed opportunity and as much as Orsi will be taking a lot of the flack for it, there was plenty of blame to go around, I think. Absolutely. And for Sweden, a pound to make it 2-0. Uh, and then they topped the group in a very... Deliberate and measured fashion. It felt like they were game managing, really. Is that good tournament football, would you say, Nick? Haven't quite seen them at their best, perhaps. It's the the classic old cliche of the, you know, you, you're not aiming to necessarily to play well in the group stage, you're just aiming to get through. So that's kind of job done. I mean, you know, three games, three wins, only conceded one goal, I think. They'll be happy with that and obviously on to play the usa next the or i don't know do we do we have to call them the beleaguered usa at this point <laughs> well who would you fancy at this point nick uh it feels like a sort of cruel trick whether the us are just kind of dangling this prospect of them being completely rubbish this time but th- mm-hmm. then like the kind of classic old m- monster or villain is just rise up and uh you know win anyway despite being no good but I mean if anyone's they've obviously given themselves an incredibly tough task in the tournament from this point and they probably couldn't have asked for a kind of tougher game in the second round than against Sweden so it's going to be a fantastic game um, whatever happens so certainly won't be surprised if Sweden beat them. Yeah South Africa play the Netherlands uh, Dutch must be favourite for that Jack I mean 7-0 against Vietnam was, was very impressive yesterday. I think the Netherlands are a good bit stronger than Italy, so there's that side of it. And and also, I, it feels like one of those situations in which South Africa have kind of scaled a summit by beating Italy today, and it <laughs> may be one of those ones where they kind of get all their all of their luck and all of their um, energy out, and then kind of slump to a pretty <laughs> straightforward two nil defeat in the round of sixteen. You know, I, I would love a match that anywhere near as exciting as what we got today but I, I would still imagine the Dutch would, would go through that one and here is what day 15 looks like South Korea face Germany at 11 and at the same time in Group H it's Morocco against Colombia a big day with all teams able to qualify Nick uh, you're going to have two screens up and what are you thinking is going to happen in this group yeah definitely I mean there's I, I covered Morocco a bit at the uh, Afcon last year, and they they you know, did incredibly well to get to the get to the final there. So I'm kind of hoping for the very remote possibility of them. I think they need a four four or five goal swing, um, and favours elsewhere. So I mean, if Colombia and Morocco go through, that that'll be phenomenal. But it's um, 
slightly unlikely, I would say. You never know. What do you reckon, Jack? Uh, I think I'll be mainly focused on the Germany game. <laughs> Just I, I kind of I jinxed them when we spoke earlier this week. I named Germany and Spain as my two favourite teams so far. Uh, that's that's gone very well. So hopefully Germany can bounce back a little bit better than Spain played against uh, Japan. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's always nice to have the possibility of anyone going through on the final day. Uh, so yeah, it should be should be exciting. Well, Morocco can progress if they win, but they need to Everton and Colombia's significant goal difference advantage. If Germany defeats South Korea, a draw would only be enough if the Asian side triumph. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast wherever you're listening now, so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks to my guests Jack Lang, Nick Miller, and Jacob Whitehead. I'm Michelle Owen, and we'll see you tomorrow. 